In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Good morning, church. Thank you, Bob, for reading that for us. I want to encourage you to hold your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter 12, and we'll meet there in just a few moments. I can see that all of you were able to uh, get out and shovel the snow uh, so that you could be here this morning. So we are glad that you were able to do that and that you could be here today. If you're visiting, uh, please stay around a few moments after our services so that we might get to know you better and welcome you and thank you for coming our way. I hope you've had the opportunity to pick up uh, a bulletin and notice uh, all the many things that are going on this week, especially uh, tonight, our small groups and where they will be meeting and what will be going on there. Also, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for uh, those on our sick list. Uh, Many of you have dealt with sickness. Uh, We've dealt with sickness this week in our family, and so I hope that you will continue to pray for those that are ill. There's a lot here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But I want us to focus on a few things that the Hebrew writer tells us that I hope that we can take with us this morning. In this lesson, uh, the desire is that it will be a lesson of hope, a lesson of encouragement. Do you remember the good old days? Do you remember those days? Most time when people say the good old days, they're talking about uh, the days back in the past and uh, when they remember all the good things about those days. Isn't that what we mean when we talk about the good old days? The good old memories that we have about times in the past. But the reality is if we really look at the good old days, there were struggles back then too, right? My mother sent a few pictures to me recently and it reminded me of some good old days. Brother Nicky, if you'll show this picture. Uh, This is a picture that, that I've thought about recently. Not just this picture, but the good old days. The times when my boys were younger. And I would come home from the office and, and they'd be great to have them out in the backyard or we'd go out in the backyard and, and we'd play ball. And, and, and life was good. So the good old days, I think. But when I really think back to those times, there were struggles as well. Now, I know a lot of you were thinking I was talking about the good old days when I had hair. I know, I know. But I will tell you, hair is underestimated. Uh, It's a lot better without hair. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But the good old days, and and the writer of Hebrews, uh, he was writing to these people and they were thinking about the good old days. They were thinking about back when they were under Judaism. 
Back when, when they had a different life, and now they are in Christ, and they're wanting to go back to these old days, but the Hebrew writer spends a lot of time reminding them that in Christ, it's better. I remember the children of Israel. You remember uh, they back in the Old Testament, they also cried about the good old days, so they thought. When they were freed from that bondage in, in, in Egypt, yet they wanted to go back to that Egyptian bondage instead of dying what they thought out in the wilderness. And he reminds his readers of the great people of faith who lived by faith. I want us to notice on the next slide here, I want us to notice uh, some things in the New Testament that the Christian life is often compared to of uh, things in everyday life. For example, warfare. Paul speaks about warfare and he encourages us to endure hardship, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, a slave. Paul often referred to himself as a slave or a bondservant. Romans chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, Titus chapter 1. And then Jesus, he refers to his followers as light and salt in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Paul in particular, he loved to talk about this figure of a race. He would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, that they run, run in vain. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, running well. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16 again, speaking about run in vain. And here the Hebrew writer uses the same idea of that of a race. Several years ago, Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi Challenge 10,000 meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. The interesting thing about this race is that 10 years prior to that, he had undergone brain surgery for a brain aneurysm. And it left part of his body partially paralyzed. And here he was entering this 10,000 meter race. And there he stood with 1,200 other runners waiting on the gun to fire and the race to begin. And when the gun went off, uh, all, all those runners, they took off running and here Bill Broadhurst was limping along. One foot and then pivoting around to the other. By the time he had taken a few steps, all the rest of the runners were almost out of sight. He painstakingly made it through that race. Six miles and two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill Broadhurst reached the finish line. And he's crossed slowly and triumphantly and there were just a few people still remaining there. One gentleman had come up and given something to Broadhurst. You see, he recognized this guy as a world-class marathon runner, Bill Rogers. Bill Rogers had won the race that day and he took the medal off from around his neck and put it on Broadhurst. And he said this, You've worked harder for this than I have. You see, we're all in this race. 
But we have different struggles and different things going on in our lives that we have to deal with. We may even be at different points in the race. And the Hebrew writer, he reminds these readers. These are all people who have run the race at different points in their life and they would struggled with different things, but they put their faith in God and therefore made it to the end. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at three characters that we'll find in Hebrews chapter 11 there. It doesn't say a lot about these characters, but yet they're listed in the, in, in the hall of Hebrew heroes of faith. And I want us to mention these things, and I picked these guys out, or, or, and ladies. I picked these individuals out because all of these struggled with some, some big things and others maybe smaller, but they all struggled with something. And I want us to look at times in our lives when they struggled with these things. Turn back in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Joshua chapter 2. And I want us to notice the story of Rahab. Do you remember what the Bible calls Rahab? A harlot, a prostitute. And I want us to notice how God was able to use this prostitute for His glory. You remember Joshua, he sent out two spies to the city of Jericho. That's where Rahab lived. She lived there in the wall. Uh, she had this business, a hotel, and likely, uh, likely also running this prostitution ring. And yet she's, uh, she's there and these spies come into her. And then the king, he had heard that these spies came in. And then she hid them. Then the woman took the two men, verse 4, and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the king, two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And she told the men, she said, Listen, I'm, gonna, I'm taking care of you, but when you come back to take this city, I want you to remember me and my household. And they told her, listen, we will remember this. You let this scarlet robe uh, down from your window and you make sure everyone is in your house. In chapter 6, in verse 17, you remember the story when they circled the city of Jericho. And when they blew those trumpets and they shouted on that last day, 
and the walls fell, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. God used this woman with a flawed past. Because of her belief in Him and her acting on that belief to help deliver the city of Jericho to God's people. Do you realize that in Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is also mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus? Not only that, the book of James chapter 2 tells us that not only did she have faith in God, not only did she believe Him and believe who He is, remember the declaration, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's what Rahab said. She acted on her faith. So maybe it is you're here today and you have a flawed past. I want you to know God can use you. God was able to use Rahab to accomplish His will. And God can use you today as well. Turn over in your Bibles. I want you to notice the next character in Judges chapter 6. We want to look at the character of Gideon. Uh, Judges chapter 6, you remember when Gideon is called to lead the children of Israel against the Midianites. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, the Bible says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk to me. And you remember God showed him the sign of the fleece and the dew. And then in chapter 7, God took Gideon. Once he convinced Gideon to go, and Gideon said, Okay, I believe this is you, God. And he acted and he went. Now he said, I want you to reduce your army. What? That doesn't make sense. Reduce your army to 300 men against the thousands of the Midianites. And you remember the rest of the story. God used Gideon and those 300 men to defeat the Midianites. Gideon said, I am the weakest in my father's house. Our clan is the least of Manasseh. Yet God took the weakest least likely, according to Gideon and maybe even others, 
to lead His people in conquering the Midianites. Gideon's faith in God led him to do all that God asked, no matter how ridiculous it was. And he prevailed through faith. Maybe it is you're here this morning you think, you know what, I, I just can't do those things. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I, I, I just don't have those kind of talents. In fact, look, I'm the youngest in this congregation or I'm the smallest in this congregation. I just can't do those kind of things. God would say, I can do those kind of things through you. Turn over in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want us to notice David. The Bible tells us David is the man after God's own heart. And we know the story of how uh, David went into that battle and he overcame uh, Goliath with the power of God. He declared that battle to be the battle of the Lord. But later in David's life, David gave himself over to some huge sins. You remember David was up on the roof probably at a time when he shouldn't have. He saw this woman. He took her into his house. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he tried to cover it up and he had her husband Uriah the Hittite to, to, to come home and to go be with your wife. And he said, no, I can't do that. And then to try to cover it up further, he sends him into the battle and to try to make, make things right in his mind and cover all this up and make it be like, oh, well, uh, Uriah's dead. He, had, he sends Uriah into the head of the battle. He's dead. Oh, well, now I can take her as my wife. In chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him this story about a little ewe lamb that these people owned and they treated it like family. But the rich man who had plenty, when a stranger came, he took this little ewe lamb from his neighbor and he sacrificed it. David's anger raged and he said, this man should die. Nathan said, David, you are the man. That's what you've done. You've tried to cover this up, this sin that you've involved yourselves in, and you're this same kind of person. The Bible says that David admitted his sin and repented to God. And though he had to deal with those consequences, he had to live with those consequences and uh, deal with those consequences every day. Yet he is still known to this day as one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. And he is still listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the heroes of faith. Have you made some big mistakes in your life? And maybe you feel like because of those mistakes, you cannot do much for God anymore. And I want you to know today, you ask God to forgive you of those things. 
And God can still use you in a mighty way to further the cause of Christ. So what's the point of looking at these Hebrews of faith? They all had struggles at this point in their life. But they were able to overcome these sins through faith in God. And through faith in God, they conquered and are included in Hebrews chapter 11, the great heroes of faith. So what are we to do? The writer of Hebrews gives us a few things that we need to do when we're running the Christian race. Maybe you're at a different point in this race. Maybe you have had some big struggles in your life. Maybe you've made some big mistakes. Maybe you've been involved in some deep sins. But through faith, repentance, obedience to God, you're still running the race. And the Hebrew writer would say, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, included David, Rahab, and Gideon, who had big struggles, let us also lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. When runners run in a race, do you realize weight is something that's difficult for them? In fact, when they're training, they may put on weights when they're running. In fact, if you watch the game of baseball, when a, when a player comes up to the on-deck circle, they will put a, a, a weight on that bat to swing and, and get ready uh, for stepping into the plate. But they never go into the plate with that weight. They take it off. The story is told of a winner of the Olympic Games in the 100-meter race who came to our country for an invitational track meet uh, to race in the 100-meter race. And yet on that day, he, see, he was considered the fastest human in all the world. But on this day, he failed to even qualify. In an interview, he simply said, the answer is this. It's simple. It's not hard. I was simply overweight. You see, he had not gained that much weight. But he said, I trained too little and I ate too much. And that little bit of weight kept him from winning. Even qualifying for the race. So what are some things that can hold us back? What are some of our weights you see, these weights, they, di- they divert our attention from the race. They zap us of our energy and our enthusiasm for the things of God. So what are some of our weights? I want us to notice a few possible weights in our lives. Number one, our possessions can be weights. And now our possessions in and of themselves are not wrong, but they can come become weights for us in the life, in the Christian race that we're running. Because then we begin to focus on all our possessions and we lose sight of the race that we're in. Our possessions can be a hindrance to us. What about our temples? Our places of worship. 
They can be a hindrance to us, can't they? Now, I'm thankful for this beautiful building that the Lord has given us. For the number of people who worked and sweated and gave of their time to give us this place of worship. In and of itself, this place of worship is not wrong. It is a necessary tool, isn't it? But if we're not careful, our places of worship, like those in Jesus' day, can become a hindrance in our race. What about other people? Other people, though, those are not in and of it, in it, wrong in and of themselves. But sometimes we can become so focused on other people and what other people are doing or not doing instead of focusing on the race. And the Hebrew writer says, let us lay aside these weights. Let us realize that our possessions are what they are. Possessions. And that they don't, do not possess us. Let us realize that these are places of worship. And God has given those to us. But we come to worship God and not the place of worship. Let us be thankful for the other people in our lives. But let us not become so focused on them that we ourselves are pulled aside out of the race. The Hebrew writer says, let us lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us or entangles us. What did the Hebrew writer tell us? Sin can entangle us and it's easy. I mean, if the man after God's own heart can be entangled in sin, then who am I to believe that I cannot be either? Sin is fun. I'm reminded of what Hebrews chapter 11 said about Moses. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses realized that sin is a passing pleasure. Sin is fun. Sin is attractive. If not, it wouldn't be a temptation for us. And the Hebrew writer says, lay that sin aside that so easily entangles us. Uh, I came across this illustration uh, about something that takes place in northern Canada during the winter months. Bradley, maybe you've seen some of this. I don't know. But in northern Canada during the winter months, the lakes, the lakes freeze over and they race cars across these lakes. Uh, in fact, it's said that many times in this time of the year, this is the only time you can get to that part uh, of, of the, that continent, is on these icy bridges. But the interesting thing is that a lot of these people turn that into sport. Now, here's the thing about this story that I found interesting. <laughs> that many of these people who race across this ice... They like to do so in the spring of the year once the ices begin to thaw and the lakes begin to thaw out and are no longer thick with ice. 
And one person said, the thinner the ice, the more thrilling the ride, it seems to be these people. And they would race across these ice lakes, even with the ice cracking under the weight of their vehicle. And sadly, as the story goes, many of the people never make it. Yet, it's still a thrill. And so it is with sin. Sin is like that lake of thin and ice. There's a thrill for a while. But if we're not careful, it will bite and the bite can be deadly. I heard one person say about sin before, it will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. The Hebrew writer says, when you run this race, those weights, those things that hold you back and hinder you, those encumbrances, lay those things aside and do what? How do we do that? Hebrew writer, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's walked this path. He's been on this race. You know, many times when runners run in a race, they have a focal point. They have a goal that they're striving for. But also in those races, a runner can become focused on different things. He can become focused on himself. Focus on the mechanics of what he's doing. Alright, I need this foot here and my arms need to be here. And he's so focused on the mechanics that he forgets about the goal. You know, there's a place for that kind of concern, for the mechanics, but it can also be a distraction in our race. The Pharisees had this problem. Do you remember? They, they struggled with this. You remember the, what Jesus, uh, the story that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 18? The two men went up to the temple to play, pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he stood out on the corner and he said, Oh Lord, I thank you. I think you. I'm not like all these other people. I'm so glad I'm not like all these other people sitting out there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I have. I do this, I do that. Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like all these other people. I'm so thankful I'm so religious. I'm so thankful that I'm not like that tax collector over there. And in the story, Jesus tells the tax collector, over to the side, beating on his chest, would not even lift his head to heaven, but cried out to God, be merciful me, a sinner. Jesus says, which one do you think went down to his house justified? The tax collector. The one who realized the one that he needed to turn to. When he messed up, when his life was a wreck, when he had struggles, when he thought he was nothing, that's the one who went down justified. Not the one that was concerned about how religious he looked. How religious he acted. But the one who truly 
turned. Sometimes our concern can, can be on other Christians. I cannot believe what they're doing. Can you believe? I mean, the nerve. I cannot believe they're not doing that anymore. Oh my goodness. Can you believe it? And we forget about the race that we're in and the goal of Jesus Christ. You see, when we focus on ourselves and we focus on others, we cannot focus on Jesus. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. If anybody understood this, it was Saul, Paul. Philippians chapter 3, I want to begin in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What did the Apostle Paul call himself? The chief of sinners. And Paul said, you think you've got a big struggle? Is that what's holding you back? Have you, have you been involved in some big sins? Listen, I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, I could have gloried in, in, in the flesh. I could have talked about how good I, I, I was and how good I, I was religiously. But you see, all that I count as loss for Christ. And see, here's the thing that I do. And here's the hope and encouragement that we have today. Whatever it is that's in your life, whatever struggles, whatever sins, Paul said, here's what I do. I put those things behind. Because here's what I'm doing from this day forward. I'm pressing on to that goal. I'm focusing on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. He would say to the young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. I'm not sure the struggles that's in your life or the sins that's in your life, but I want you to know about the hope that's in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today, do not let Satan hold you back any further in this Christian race. Do not let Satan tell you anymore how horrible you are, how worthless you are, how you're not good enough, how you're not important because look at all the things you've done in your life. You see, in Jesus Christ there's hope. And when we focus on Jesus, when we obey Him, when we come to Him in faith and obedience, and that's our focus, great things can be done. God can use us to do great things no matter what's happened in the past because the future is there. And the focus is on Jesus. Today, if you're not a child of God, it's our prayer that you will come in faith and obedience, being buried with Him in baptism, to rise in newness of life with Him now being your focus and leading as many people on that Christian race as possible because they see you focusing on Jesus. And they too can say, like Rahab, God is God in heaven and on earth. Maybe it is you need to repent of sin. Maybe it is you need to lay some of those weights off. Don't let Satan hold you back on that because it's with the people that love you and care about you that we can pray with you and pray for you so that you can continue to run that Christian race. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come as we stand and sing.